Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's time for another edition of Driven by Design. The one show, maybe the only show that shows you the future of design. One guest at a time. <laughs> With the man who's always searching for new designs and designers, too. Brian Thompson. Welcome, Brian Thompson. Howdy, howdy, everybody. Thanks for tuning in today. Uh, today, we have a colleague and friend and super talent on, uh, Jason Wilbur. Um, welcome to the show, Jason. Thanks so much. Stoked to talk to you guys. You too. I'll give a little background on what you do, and then I'll let you run with it. So um, Jason is a super talent, and he is the former head of Honda Advanced Styling, Advanced Design. So for those of us uh, out there watching that wouldn't know exactly what advanced means, advanced is it's the company's lighthouse. It's what keeps it looking forward. So his job would have been to create cars and visions for Honda that then will trickle down into the actual production vehicles. So it's kind of a dream job. Uh, and Jason has left Honda and has started an amazing watch company uh, called Wilbur, which is his last name. So welcome to the show, Jason. I'll let you go ahead and take it away from there. Um, yeah, the, uh, I alluded, you know, told a little bit about what you do, but um, talk a, if you could just kick off a bit about like advanced design, then we'll jump right into the watch, watches. All right. Well, yeah. I mean, it's funny too because people always ask, like, what does that really mean? What are these satellite studios? Because a lot of a lot of car studios, a lot of car companies have these type of advanced design studios, and they're these kind of like, you know, like clandestine operations and skunk works types of things, and nobody ever really hears about what actually happens because yeah. a lot of times, a lot of times they're they're generating ideas that frankly kind of stop internally, and they never really kind of. It's always hard to see you know, what the trickle down is in terms of what, what design and what actual products and what other things were created there that we can see on the street or that the consumer can buy or interact with. And a lot of times, you know, if you're doing your job right as an advanced designer, 99% of that stuff won't see the light of day. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and of course people will say, well, why, you know, why can't we just have that? And it's really, you know, our, our job in the industry is to, to imagine a future that's not technically feasible yet. Right. So that we get there, we have something to guide us. And that, that's part of why we do that, right? Wouldn't you say? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the thing is, is that if you're doing, if you're approaching design from what I think is the correct way to do it, which is to think about people's, the type of experience and um, the type of lifestyle that the customer is, is, is going to have in 10 years and 20 years and the types of needs and wants and things that, um, you know, the kind of way that their life is gonna, um, is going to be if you think about the experiences that they want and you think about um you know like what kind of realities they're going to be encountering then you can create ideas about the products that would would work best for them and that they would that would resonate with them and that they would love without worrying about the constraints of current day manufacturing or cost restraints or things like that because typically that's what ends up restricting people is they say, well, we want to make a bunch of things out of this box of aluminum. What can we make? And that's a great thing. If you're, if you're, if you're trying to manufacture certain things and you're trying to figure out ways to save cost, but you've already got most companies doing that already, or a majority of uh, the corporations trying to focus on certain things like that. So this is really all about like, what's the dream? You know, I always try to tell people like, it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be awesome. Like, yes. You know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's really more about like coming up with a collective dream 
that you can point at. And in the future, when you start to um, think about the reality or sit down with engineers and business people and marketing people, and you start to kind of figure out, okay, can we start to make this, create the same idea in today's world? Can we possibly do it with the manufacturing technologies we have and the business models that we have? Can we do it? And, and you start, once you start to work through that kind of process, you start to chip away at your idea. And sometimes it sometimes you and and, and frankly it, you it, it it it's not a bad thing because it means that then you can say, all right, if we have this initial vision, as long as we start to kind of put some of these realities in here and put it put all the ingredients into the pot and it comes out tasting good, then you know that you've got an idea that's worth pursuing. And it doesn't mean that um, just because it's not the spaceship you envisioned if some of the soul and some of the feasibility and some of the usability and some of the fun that's generated from that product, if even 10% of it ends up in the product from today, sometimes you've got a winner that way. So yeah, yeah. go ahead. I I always try to kind of look at it this way. I always try to look at it like you want in design, you always want somebody that is an advocate for the future customer that doesn't know what they want. Yeah. And And the funny thing is when you, when you get there, when you get to that future, that's always the trick when you've been in the industry long enough where you finally get to that future that you were designing for. I always say as a, you know, former advanced designer myself at Nissan, I always think of uh, that job as sort of like living in the future, looking back on the present as if it's the past. Right. Because when you're in, because you're already living in that future. And then when you finally get there, that future feels old. You know, and and you know, you always hear people t- say today, like, "Well, we're supposed to have flying cars today by now." And like, people always say, like, "Well, how come we don't have, you know, more of this? Is it because of the technology? How come we don't have more futuristic things on the road and things?" And like, you know, coming from coming from you know uh, over a decade of working in the corporate side of, uh, or at least being exposed to the corporate side of the automotive industry, I it's always funny when I tell people, I'm like, "Look, the technology is all there." Like mm-hmm. all the technology is there. Yes. We're not being restricted by technology. We're being restricted by fear. Right. Oh, absolutely. Consumer ability to accept things, right? Yeah. But it's very, that's very real right now when we talk about self-driving cars, yeah. which is you know, all of what I work on now for smaller clients. Yeah. But the, 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 the pushback I always get isn't the tech. It's the people's ex- fear of what's that going to be like. Right. Until right. you get and I think that like, and I think that sometimes when you're trying to, um, sometimes it's good to kind of take like a little bit of like, a, um, you have to think a little bit about the psychology when you're making crazy things, because it means, you know, you're going to, they're going to be polarizing. And I think what happens is that some people are very good at doing this, where you take something and you put it in a package that is familiar. So if you're going to introduce a new technology, you yeah. don't just put a new technology in something that's a spaceship that's so that now you're asking people to um, accept two things. You're asking yeah. them to accept like a crazy styling or a crazy design or something. And you're asking them to accept a new technology. It's part of the reason why so many people accepted Tesla because that car looks like a nineties Mazda. But the technology is great. So what they, did was they showed them something that they, they showed the, the general population, something that was not um, that didn't scare them. But right. it just happened to be electric. So now you start to allow people to kind of uh, become comfortable with the technologies. And once you do that, then you can start kind of pull, pushing and pulling in different directions, you know? Yeah. And Elon was very smart to hire Franz von Holzhausen to lead that because he had done such a good job with Mazda. Right. Making it feel emotional and accessible and really, you know, 
there were these very sexy cars that that he did at in his tenure at Mazda, and he really just kind of evolved that for Tesla. If you look at it, it's funny that you say that. I always see Mazda when I see Teslas because it's the same designer, you know. Right. And that's one of those things that on the human scale, people don't really know that these cars come from people's heart and soul. It's, it's what they love, and so. Right. That's what translates into the brand. I don't want to miss time to get into your watches, but I want to ask you one question about cars before we jump in there. Right. Because you work in advance. What was your favorite project at Honda? And, um, that um, may, would people have seen it? Was it a show car? What was your, you know, what's something that comes to mind is something from Honda that you just love working on? Hmm, let's see. Well, we actually, I think one of the favorite things I, I we worked on, which actually scared executives so much that we ended up making a little teeny quarter scale model of it in the end instead of a full scale one. Yeah, but it's funny because I, I I look some some of my favorite projects are the ones that I had the most pushback on, and they're 15 years old, and now I see everybody. Oh my like, god, totally! Yes, I see that too. You're like, what were you doing that so long ago? Yeah, yeah. Like people are like, oh, how come you guys didn't do something like the Tesla truck? You know, <laughs> but I'm like, well, we kind of did about 15 years ago. You know, like there's yeah. a in like 1982 when they first invented like computer graphics. Yeah, that was a Tesla truck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and the thing is, um, Jason. Yeah, no, just I mean, I I would say like one of the projects I did that that I loved the most was this kind of skateboard platform electric vehicle off road kind of like almost little um, escape escape pod I liked to call it. And I see it now and I see it everywhere. And I mean, you know, Brian, you've you've been involved in like the RV type projects and things yeah, like that. Yeah. And like, you know, with this last crazy year where people are like, I could live in my dog house, yeah. you know, like, yeah. like they, I could work out of my tree house or like my sailboat or whatever, you know, like that type of project was something I was thinking about, you know, and our team was thinking about 15 years ago was the like, why don't we add like something that's really what automotive, what the automotive spirit really is about is freedom. Right. So like, but let's do something modern and relevant in that way. And at the time, everybody said like, what are you talking about? This doesn't make any sense. But now I look at it and I'm like, wow we made this right now, it would be a hit, you know? Yeah. It's like the best case study uh, for some of this stuff is a, is a pandemic. It turns out people having to get home. Now, <laughs> yeah. I want to give, I want to give you time to get into your watches because I'm really okay. excited for you and about them. So, so one of the things with this podcast that we, we are doing is talking about what people using this strange time that we've been in to grow things that they couldn't have. And I think, you know, you have the talent to, to envision brands and, and things that people haven't seen before, but to make them into something very real. And so if you, uh, and I think you've used this time uh, to really develop this beautiful line of watches called Wilbur, W-I-L-B-U-R, which is your last name. Yep. Talk to me about the inspiration for the watches, why watches, how you went from cars to Kronos, chrono, <laughs> so to yeah. speak. Yeah, cars to Kronos, I love it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, I early on out when I when I after I got out of Art Center, you know, I was I was I always knew that the corporate world was really not going to be a long term thing for me. I'm an entrepreneur. I like to do things that are a little bit different. I'm into design because I like to take risks, not because I want to make what everybody expects. And I know that the job of a designer uh, and them doing a good job is making things for other people. But for me, I also needed to always have my artistic outlet in order to make sure I was being honest with myself. So the watches were kind of like a, just a smaller version of a car, frankly. It's an emotional, mechanical thing that has its own, it becomes a, its own little living thing, right? And I, frankly, the more, the more I, I kind of fell into it in a way because 
I felt like watches were a great excuse to make a little mechanical sculpture. And more importantly, it was they, my interest really peaked when they become, became useless as a tool, as a time telling device. Once people, and it's funny too, because even the argument today is like, what does people need to watch for? Like, I can tell my time on my, on my phone. And I'm like, exactly. That means it gives me all the free reign to design something that's a sculpture that makes a statement. I love that. While you're talking so people can see, hold up one of the watches as you're talking. There it is. Yeah. yeah. So you know, yeah, bring that back. Bring that back. It went away so fast. Cause I, everything you're saying is, there you go. Like, look how beautiful this, people right and like only a, only it's, it's so it's just knowing a bit about your style only you could come up with this <laughs> <laughs> well so you cool. know and of course and it's something and not everybody loves this you know there's it's pure there's purists like there are in automotive there's purists in the watch world that tell me oh it's supposed to be a certain way and you're supposed to do it like that and why is it so expensive and why is this and it's wrong and the frank frankly the truth is that like I'd rather make something that's polarizing like that, that some people hate and a lot of people love than make something that everybody just likes, you know? I think it's a really key takeaway that you, you know, you'd rather make something that's polarizing that a few people love. That's, that's such a passion project, but when you have the experience behind it and the talent, you really can do something quite unique. I, I find that in, in my art world, I, I'm always doing everything wrong according right. to how the whole art collector world is supposed to work. But right. it doesn't matter because I, I love doing it, you know? And yeah. it's, it's, I think that the key takeaway is there's always, whenever you go dive into a, a pool of something new, there's always going to be a bunch of rules you're supposed to follow. Right. But do you really need to follow them? You know? <laughs> so, I mean, and that's the thing is that it sounds cheesy to say rule breaking, but like that's what it's all about, right? But the thing is, I always, I always say this, I always tell people this, I tell students this, I tell this all the time is, especially in design and especially in, in product groups that tend to be more conservative or the base is more conservative. I say like, if you're going to break the rules, do it perfectly. You're going to break the rules, do it perfectly. Yeah. Like do them, like know what rules you're breaking, like learn all the rules so that when you break them, you know, which ones they are and you're doing it for an obvious reason and, and you're doing it for, and you know, it's happening. You know, you don't want to ever be surprised by somebody saying like, well, you know, I think it's supposed to be like that. And you can say, well, I know that. I know a lot of people think that, but this is- thing. You really have to know the rules you're breaking, as in car design, right? You know, cars are all proportion, right? So right. you have to understand the fundamental proportions in order to break that one thing to make it look unique. Right. But I don't want you to run out of time here to tell where people can find Wilbur watches, where they can find your work. Yeah. Um, so my watches are at wilburco.com, W-I-L-B-U-R-C-O.com. Okay. Or if you just simply search for Wilbur watches online, they're everywhere. And are um, you on Instagram or that's any of the social? I am. It's Jason Wilbur underscore official on, on Instagram. Excellent. Well, um, everybody needs to a little bit. Of, I know you're kind of running out of time, but I was going to say something that I think was really, really relevant to this Go time. For Go for it. Go for it. This last year. Cause I think it's helpful to people that are trying to do unique things. Um, yeah. There's, there's, what I found is that when you have a kind of a industry where most of the companies are kind of entrenched in this kind of like way of doing things um, like the watch world or the automotive world, what I found was that the pandemic actually, uh, you know, it, we closed down like so such a huge percentage of the retail aspect of the business. Meaning that when I, when I was making these watches, I had, tons of people around the world that owned distribution companies or retailers. And they said, Hey, I'm interested when we're, when you make them, I'm going to, I'll sell them for you. 
But what's interesting to me is that those guys tend to be the most traditional. And they're like, maybe if we be a little bit different, then maybe it'd be like this. But what happened is this. What was interesting was I, I was forced because of the pandemic to sell my watches online. Just direct. Direct. Yeah. And what yeah. was awesome was I started to find the fans and build confidence because of the fact that I was having direct comp, direct conversation with with customers and fans and started, I started realizing like, well, wait a minute, I don't need to take the feedback of the middleman. Yeah. I, don't really the middleman. Yeah. I don't need to share my margins with the middleman. I don't need to absorb their fears and have them try to shape, change my product or my way of doing business. So what happened was that you start to create this, this team of people, a global fan base that really resonates with you. And then you skip the nonsense. So it's, it's actually really interesting. So I feel like a lot of people that are doing unique types of products and things like this, I feel like they should really go for it because the truth is that now there's the technology selling online, doing these things to reach your customer base without having to go through all the like annoying things of having to deal with like a conservative industry. Such a great message to part with. Such a great takeaway from this. Cut through the BS, cut through the nonsense. Just do it. You got yeah. an idea. There's so many ways to do it. I love that, Jason. Yeah. Uh, Thank you for coming on today. Um, yeah, pleasure. Great talking to you guys. Yeah. Uh, Wilbur watches, WilburWatchesCo.com. WilburCo.com. Thank you. Thank you, WilburCo.com. <laughs> All right. There you have it. Another episode of Driven by Design that's driven away. But don't fear. We got more coming your way. Right here in Orange County's only community radio station, OCTalkRadio.net.